0: Hey everyone, it's Kenny here. Ryan and I, we are spending time with our families on vacation. So we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of This Week in Bourbon. However, I have a very special episode of Behind the Pursuit to share with you, which is our other podcast as we give our insights and you can also join along with us in our journey of building our own bourbon brand. And in this episode, we talk about the effects of Big Bourbon. The Big Six really control the share of all bourbon across the globe. And it feels like they kind of have a monopoly when there are over 2,000 distilleries and even more brands across the U.S. So how do smaller players, such as ourselves, break through to gain new customers when that term of value is being set by Big Bourbon? So make sure you go subscribe to Behind the Pursuit from Bourbon to Brand on every podcast platform so you can get more great episodes like this every two weeks. And if you want to learn more about Pursuit United and our brand, Head on over to PursuitSpirits.com to check it out, and you can even use the store locator on the website to find a retailer near you. All right, enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Pursuit, from bourbon to brand however you found us we're so glad you're here as we get behind the scenes with the pursuit spirits brand i'm your host brian bikey joining me as always kenny and ryan gents how are you hey i'm doing doing all right great
0: waiting for the day that it's not gonna be me and ryan here but i'm glad to be here well who's it gonna be well just be brian actually you did have one with jay and some other things going on so, yeah, that's right. He did do that one.
1: We had a suggestion to to do a wives episode or to at least whether it's having them on the show or talk about uh, maybe you all talking about how it what it seems like for the wives or, or what it's been like for them or, or their perspective of which. But oh, I'm not going to answer uh, that. I'm just going to get in trouble if I try to answer it. <laughs> but Ryan, your wife has been quite the brand ambassador lately. And she I feel has. like her and I could start doing behind the pursuit and,
2: and turn it into a real real nice little, little thing. Yeah, it's like on my Saturdays and Sundays now, she's having like team meetings. Like, <laughs> what are you going to – you got to appeal to a different demographic. Like, the wives need to, you know, be included in this. And I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. And she's like, you're not going to grow this thing just talking to whiskey geeks. And I'm like – you're exactly right. I, I i don't know why I didn't bring you on sooner. Yeah, she's been very supportive, very excited about the trajectory of where we're going. She's been going on the, I think the biggest thing was taking her on the road with me and seeing like, uh, you know, the interest outside, you know, of Kentucky and just with bourbon groups and doing store tastings and this and that. She's been fascinated with the whole thing and she can be more any more supportive, so I'm, I'm excited because that makes it a lot easier. <laughs> she's right, you know, there, there's this missing segment of the market that I think we can appeal to because us guys get into whiskey, but the, we kind of leave our wives out. And she's like, well, what about the wives that want to be in your whiskey hobby, you know? And so I think that's a, a good, you know, I, I think that's great. You know, we're doing it together now. We're drinking neat pours together, and it's fun educating her on, like, what we're doing. It gets a little confusing for her sometimes explaining like the batches versus single barrel and what's bald and bond and what's a blend and this and that so she's really trying to understand like she's like so is your thing finished in sherry barrels or are they sherry staves or cubes like just, and it's like trying to it, it's it's been a lot of fun so anyway yeah you all should right. have run so
0: i was about to say i was like with all these team meetings going on i need you to come away with a prospectus and maybe some sort of Target and goal, maybe a maybe a, a PowerPoint presentation that she can give on on how we're going to go and tackle these new markets
2: and, and new demographics. There, there's Mr. Pragmatic, the action plan. <laughs> you gotta, gotta, can't have the ideas; you got to have an action plan. I like it. You need to have, yeah. Need, need some, some way Need some action items. Give me some AIs at the end of this. That's right. Here's the tech guy. We're we're used to unstructured meetings in the Cecil household, whereas Kenny's on like twelve conference calls on a Tuesday and has you know bullet points and checklists and stuff. So. Well, we'll try to mix our two worlds together. If it's not documented in Google Docs, or if it's the Zoom meeting wasn't recorded, then it never happened. Yeah, we the Cecil's like a lot of tribal knowledge, whereas, uh, <laughs> <There you go. laughs> whereas Kenny's def- where we need more Kenny to get the knowledge out of my head and uh, on the paper. Exactly. If, if I get hit by
0: a bus, you got to make sure all the processes are documented on how we... Put in purchase orders and everything like that with every distributor. All that oh, stuff shit. is. Can you in, teach it's Brian? In
2: it's, in, it's in a Google Doc. All right. Brian, do you know where that folder is? <laughs> yeah, if you I can't sure access that, that.
1: I just see you going, All right, hun. I got a feeling this is how it's going to go from now on. <laughs> like, All right. Uh, so, right after Wives of the Pursuit, we have Where the Pursuit Has Gone Wrong <laughs> with Ryan's Wife. Got it noted yep that's Uh, it speaking of you were recently letting me try
2: the latest batch of bourbon which was very tasty yeah i'm excited for the blends this year uh we're getting some older inventory we're fine-tuning our skills I'm, i'm really excited with how i'm tasting what i think will be the we just dumped barrels for the oak collection uh this week and so uh you know, inserting the the staves and cubes and whatnot. So uh, what I'm tasting that I blended here at my house tastes amazing. I think it's better than the first batch, but, you know, that's all subjective, obviously. But, yeah, I'm excited, too, about our flagship bourbon. I think it's going to be one of our best. So I'm excited for everyone to try it. Get to bottling. We got long ways to go. Summer. A lot of things still need to happen. Like, as we talked about on many episodes, like waiting on glass and labels and all the... All the stuff that uh, you think you would have, but it just doesn't happen, you know, on your time schedule. So
1: You all did, though, announce another Pursuit series coming for this year. Yeah, I'm sure you are, are aware that we have a relationship
0: with our folks from out in the Seattle area for Woodenville Whiskey Company. And there's a whole story about how we got hooked up with them. But we are now buying a couple barrels every single year and bottling them as Pursuit series. And we're very fortunate to actually have that relationship and keep it going. But one of the things that we like to do is we like to hold onto those barrels a little bit longer. So when we select their barrels, they typically have it at four to four and a half, uh, maybe five is usually when they release their bourbon and their rye whiskeys. We tend to keep them for an extra year or so. We try to forget about them as much as possible. And I think it was, it, it was, we're approaching over a year since the last time we selected those rye barrels. So this one we're getting ready to release is going to be a five-year, seven-month, which, if I mean, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, there's really nothing more than five years that ever comes out of Woodenville. So we're going to have one of the oldest Woodenvilles that will be on the market as a single-barrel offering, uh, cash yeah. strength, everything like that too. So it's uh, I was going through the – I know I took Ryan's tasting notes, and I actually tasted them today as well and kind of went through it and just kind of confirmed with what Ryan said. I had a few different kind of notes, but, man, there's just this apple note. I mean, it just kind of smelled like apple juice when you're going through there and, and just very just rich for that. And and I just said, as the tasting notes, I said, I don't think there's anything – there's no
2: better apple than a Honeycrisp. Don't at me on it. Yeah, <laughs> the Woodenvilles they have to bottle them. So, I mean, obviously, they like bottle young because they want to get money. But, too, they're in a very Asian, a very arid climate, and so they get a ton of – Angel share loss. And so it's nice to pull those out of Quincy, which is up in the desert in Washington and bring them to Bardstown where we can age them for a year or two longer and see how they mature even further. So it's pretty cool. Unique spin we can do with Woodenville barrels, which is fun. They're always it's great whiskey for sure. Well, a lot of exciting things coming down the pipe
1: in 2023 and in kind of a similar topic, uh, but maybe different contextually it makes sense here uh, we want to talk about big bourbon and what i mean by that we've talked about this in, in various conversations in various ways on the past episodes but ryan was talking about this uh and, and we thought maybe it's interesting to kind of bring out into a topic which is really just about how in whiskey compared to other circles or other interests That people who are really deep into it, into the hobby, into the brands, into the spirits, still seem to latch on to the big production brands. And for whiskey to have this value part that is always attributed aside from the taste or the profile, this value is attributed to it that usually is cost. And we've talked on past episodes about how Big Bourbon can set, because of scale, lower prices than others. But how does that scale work with all these new brands penetrating the market and when the scale is always set by these larger brands? So we're going to unpack any avenues that come with Big Bourbon. Let's just jump in wherever you want to jump in.
2: Well, I just was thinking, I don't know, because I think way too much, you know. As can we alluded to earlier, I'm the idea person, and <laughs> I was just thinking the other day. It's like bourbon's this fascinating thing where it's like if you think about food connoisseurs or wine connoisseurs or anything like a connoisseur, they really don't like. You don't see a food connoisseur be like, "Oh, I love Morton's," you know, steak restaurant or Landry's is like the most amazing. Or even like Roos Chris or something and like, but with bourbon, it's like, it's like the big brands have all, even the connoisseur and the everyday folk. And it's, it's amazing to me too. What got me thinking about this was as Chad and Sarah were doing this 64 bourbons under a hundred dollars and I was just counting out of the 64, I think there's 12 labels that aren't under the big six, you know, portfolio out of the 64 entries. And I'm like, this is fascinating. <laughs> you know, you have basically six distilleries who have all these different brands, pretty much essentially the same whiskey at different price points. And everybody's voting them at the best $25, the best $50, the best $75, and then the best like 75 to hundred. And it's like, okay, that's amazing to me that they have something in every product range and that the connoisseur loves not only the poor, the cheaper stuff, but they like all. And so I'm just like, how how's that? You don't just see that in any other, I guess, like, you know, you think about beer or wines or tequila or just anything. It's, it, it's fascinating how big bourbon is like, just got the market painted. And I, I think it's because they've just done such a good job of branding and romanticizing what they're doing. And when reality, it's just, they're, big, huge factories and manufacturing plants that have gotten the economies of scales figured out so well over a hundred years. And they've, you know, with the whole prohibition thing, six of them, you know, basically. That whole thing? Well, that whole thing, <laughs> you know, they're, it basically squabbled all the competition and they had 70, 80 years of runway to, to basically just dominate the market. And, you know, they not only do that, they dominate distribution side of things, they dominate the of sale and stores. They dominate the on-premise. They just dominate everything. And it's just fascinating to me. I, I, that's why I wanted to talk about this and see what your all thoughts were.
0: Well, I think we should probably pre- make some more analogies as we go into this. It's like, you know, you, you kind of hit on the food thing. And I think that's a very good way to look at it. It's, it's like you want to go buy anything. I mean, you think of the restaurants you want to go to, think of the type of artisanal sauce that you want. To put on your your dinner at night, it's like I can go get this something nice. It's fancy. It's some nice looking label, or I can just get Heinz ketchup, right? That's the safe option. It's always there, and and you look at that and you think, well, are the are these just like the Heinz ketchups of of what we see inside of the bourbon world? There's a lot of other analogies that we could look at and how we can think of of well why why did you go this way and and Brian alluded to it earlier and it's a lot of its price and and it's it's tough to sit there and compare price to value and everything that that you're getting because yeah the whiskey is good at the end of the day but it is true that when you look at when people come to the bourbon trail i see the same it's the same people talk or not the same people but it's the same questions answered in a myriad of the same exact way they just kind of navigate a way to go around talking about the same probably nine places to go to yeah you know you include the big six plus Angel's Envy and a few other ones that are in there but there's really nothing else that people really talk about too much unless it's kind of like a an underground or a not as well known it kind of makes me think of you know ryan when you were talking about always going to napa and you have your um, you know, your, your big ones, and then you've got your other kind of like small little vineyards that are family owned and stuff. And, and those are the ones that don't really get the recognition because maybe they can't afford the billboards or whatever it is that it comes down to. And so we, we do have this sort of dichotomy on, on how the consumer is, is looking at this. And it is interesting because I would like to think that consumers would start pushing towards and wanting to try to maybe try something new. And I think maybe we're not there yet. And maybe that's just what the problem is, is that, yeah, it, gosh, think about it. When the '80s and '90s, it was all the rage of TV dinners and fast chain and chain restaurants, and then you get into 2000s and that switches the the culture switches, where people want smaller, independent run restaurants, uh, nicer, upscale, and and maybe that's just because with bourbon nobody just, nobody knows yet. I mean, I literally saw it in a Facebook group earlier this week where somebody had posted, somebody said something there like, oh, I'm trying all these different things from Buffalo Trace, they're all so good. And somebody goes, it's the same exact mash bill. And they go, what are you talking about? And they had to bring up the infographic that basically showed, yes, they make three mash bills, and make 30 different labels. They just pull them from different parts of the warehouses with different proofs and different ages. And people were... Mind blown at it. And I think that's what, and don't get me wrong, like there is, a, there is a skill to everything that happens on the back end for what they have to do to blend that to profile and taste every single time. But I think there is that 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 mysticism is still alive and well in the majority of people, and they just don't know. They don't know any better. And it's the same exact thing as that maybe our taste buds, we just didn't know what a really good hamburger was until somebody packed you with some Kobe beef and aged Gouda on it right and now you're just like holy crap why would i ever go back to mcdonald's ever again and i think that's probably just what it's going to take it's going to take a little more time for the general public to be you know coming to the understanding of like how do we get educated to know that yes there's more than just the three mash bills that come out from these six distilleries that make 90% of the products that are out there they just don't know any better yet and i think it's just going to be a gradual amount of time until they do become more educated on topic
2: Yeah, it is. It is amazing. You think of like the last, you know, 10 to 20 years, like the consumer has gone like, and I'm not saying like the everyday consumer obviously goes to big grocery chains and chain restaurants and whatnot. That's why they exist. But you think about people like us who look for quality and independent, you know, stores and like entrepreneurs and not corporate corporations, but like in bourbon, that's like totally the opposite. Everybody's like, Oh no, you know, we only do the big six. And it's like, you realize you're funding these like behemoths of companies that like have like just these, it's so, it's just fascinating that, you know, you have probably in most other industries, you have a shift where it's gone away from like corporations and factories and whatnot. But maybe you're just right. It's just so new to the consumer in bourbon that they just don't know what they don't know. Well, and it's also a quality thing too. I mean, you look at what the big six, they can put out
0: 12 to 20 year product because they have it and it's good. Right. Yeah, we, we can't do that. And it's the same exact reason why you do go to a repeal or a very nice steakhouse and you're not like, listen, I heard Applebee's has a brand new USDA Prime, right? It's not USDA. That's the thing. It's like, it's just different levels of quality. And it's not whether to say one's chain or one's local. I just think that the quality is is it's hard to meet and, and match that because as you had mentioned earlier, they've have time, they have scale, they have a lot of, they pretty much have everything working in their favor for them. And so we've just got to figure out, and I think that's no, it's not, we, I think it's, it goes to all of the other emerging brands that are out there and, and, you know, your Penelope's, your blue runs, uh, all of them to try to figure out like, what is that thing that will start making consumers think differently? And what will make them, you know, how do you start eating away at that mindshare that that the, the big six do have? And you've just got to, I think we all have to figure out what that is. I don't think it's there yet. You know, there's, it's always been the chase for the craziest finish or whatever it's going to be. And how do you make a consumer kind of like chase that shiny red ball? But I don't think that's what's going to be that pivotal turning point. Where it's going to make people start looking at brands a lot of different brands differently most people are focused on pretty much two different things they go what's the price and what's the age that's all they care about it, whether it tastes good or not that's that's a whole other thing but those are the first i mean we do tastings all the time those are the first two questions that people usually say and and that's just right. i think it's a we live in a very price conscious type of environment for people like this if we were selling thousand dollar bottles we probably wouldn't be doing tastings and we do not have to worry about it. But in in a type of environment where you've got to talk to the general public, I guess is the lack of a better term, then that's one of the first things that they're going to worry about is they're going to say, what's this going to cost me? (laughs)
1: So um, that's the, that's a continual battle. I'm glad you mentioned a part in there about preference too, because I find it interesting, you know, there's a camp of people too who will say something like, Oh, I'm going to buy that. It's MGP. But there's also a camp of people who are like, why would you buy that? It's just MGP. Mm -hmm. So there there are people who like and don't like, you know, the flavor pocket that can specifically bring. But, you know, the thing that I found interesting on this particular topic is, is that scale of value, like I mentioned in the very beginning, you know, relies on the pricing that these brands can do. And people are pretty adamant about that. You know, and they'll say, why would I buy X when Y costs whatever that it costs, And the thing I find interesting about that, now I understand when there's a lot of brands coming back or coming onto the market these days, it can feel like a lot of snake oil salesmen. I understand that. And it's very difficult to keep up with all the brands. What are they gonna have to offer? If you tried something and it's experimental or different or, you know, heck, lack of transparency there, I can understand you get burned. And at a certain price point, you you grow cautious of that and you kind of stay away from it. And I understand people uh, getting to that point However, you know, I was even talking with a friend recently and we were talking about uh, a bottle and he was saying, well, you know, is it worth that, that price? It was like an $80 or $90 bottle. And I'm like, man, well, let's just let's just talk about a couple of brands here real quick and maybe some things that people used to push people towards. You know, for a couple of years back, it was the Heaven Hill bottled and bond. And then, you know, as you all know, here in Kentucky, that disappeared. That 13 bottle, $13 bottle went away came back with an extra year and four times the MSRP. But you also will have people who now the argument is usually, well, can it beat rare, rare breed? Or there's folks who will say, well, why wouldn't I just get Russell's tenure? Why wouldn't I just get a full rose a single barrel? Why wouldn't I just get Elijah Craig Barrel Proof? And we've watched the price well, one, a lot of people that I talk to outside of Kentucky never see Four Roses single barrels. But those prices have gone from 60, 75, 80. Now they're in the gift shop as of last week or the week before. They're $100 out of the gift shop. And then with Russell's tenure, I thought I even saw someone mention that that price jumped to 70 or something dollars. You see Russell's Reserve picks at stores going up to the $80 price point. You're seeing Elijah Craig barrel proof. I don't quite have this confirmed yet, but it looked as if they might actually be tucking away that 12 year age statement. So these pillars that people used to stand on based on big bourbon that says, why would I try X when Y is this price? Well, what happens when those prices change like that we're seeing now because inflation still coming? All the things we've talked about before that are struggles for smaller brands, they're still struggles for big brands. They just have ways to get around it because of the scale or because they have existing glass or existing corks or, or contracts in certain places or the volume to get it down to a certain price point. But as we start to see them feeling that, or as other things push them to saying we need to command more for the money, and those prices raise, what are consumers left with saying, do I base everything off of this new scale? Or is everything out the window? Or is everything just linear in the same price now? And I can understand how that would be very difficult for a consumer to navigate and say, I don't even know what to do anymore. So do they just stick with Big bourbon because it's safe. So do they just stick with big bourbon because it's safe? I, you know, it's wild. So you're so the the play is let's just wait them
0: out until they're so expensive that now we're okay. the bottom tier. It's <laughs> so the easy, easy
2: one. We just got to play the long game. Like, how long can we bleed money until we can make that happen? That's a lot to unpack there. My first thought is, like, it's amazing that the big bourbon kind of built, hung their hat on, like, age-stated, affordable age-stated whiskey, and then that, like, got them to where they didn't have enough. And then it's like, uh, we're going to just kind of secretly hide the ages and not put them on there anymore. And But consumers still think, like, the products they're drinking are, like... These eight to twelve year old products when in reality they're four to six year old stuff, but the consumer still has like latched onto that age statement or you know, with that price point. And you, you see with like Elijah Craig, a twelve year Elijah Craig barrel proof, yes, that's seventy five to hundred bucks. I mean, like Elijah Craig at eight year is what, forty dollars now for the standard Elijah Craig. They're talking about yeah. just like off the shelf? Yeah, yeah, just off the shelf. Ninety four, whatever. Yeah, it's still an incredible value at if we had eight year old whiskey, I would think of like Willet or something. Fact, an eight year old whiskey for them is two hundred bucks. You know, I granted it's at one hundred and eight proof or whatever, and it fly. You know, people buy that. So I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. I don't know. Well, I think that's
0: you bring up Willet, and that is a. I think that's a that's an outlier, in all this that goes back to that's a a perception and difference of quality that comes from the the end consumer, because if we go back to the idea of just. Yeah, whether you go to, to I don't know, pick your, your nicest favorite local steakhouse versus an Applebee's. Uh, and I'm not going to say that Heaven Hill's your Applebee's and Willet is the <laughs> other one. But that is... that no, we'll is we'll
2: say Heaven Hill's Morton's and Willett's Repeal. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, it, like, I, it, like I said, I'm not I'm not actually trying to say that. any. It's, it's coming off all bad the wrong way. But what I'm trying to say is that that is like a different way of perception of people that look at quality. And the... The thing that the thing that is that probably blows everybody's minds is that, um, you know, you rewind the the clocks back just a few years. That was actually all Heaven Hill juice that was up there anyway, and but people bought it because it was aged on a hill for a few different years at a at a different way, and and that somehow put them on a different pedestal. And now don't be wrong, like they do great things, but there is there is a a thought process out there where uh, the consumer has taken that family crust and put it so high and revere that it, it demands a price that i don't i'm not too sure like where the, the the quality factor comes in it's good stuff but again i don't know how many people are going to be dropping hundreds and hundreds of dollars on these bottles but they do and i think that's just one of those outliers in this as we start talking about how does how does price and how does quality play into this because there is it's all just corn water at the end of the day and so we've just got to figure out how do we how do you convey that and how do you try to get your message across and how does that message then start resonating? And is it a quality? Is it an age thing? Or is there something else that we can do as, as a as a different facet to help push them in a different direction that helps them see, okay, well, maybe I don't need to just be all on the safe side, but instead I can take a risk. I can try to figure out what else is out there. And I think that just goes back in, as well as to figuring out what does a brand stand for and what's behind it. I know that people probably get lost on pretty labels and maybe they just see the word Kentucky or maybe they just see the word Indiana and they just all assume it's all from MGP. But those become longer and deeper sort of introspective discussions where they have to start figuring out, well, do they even know what's in the bottle? Do they just assume that it's all coming from the same spot or do they not care? Uh, do they just, and I think that's the hardest thing about the market that we're in is that there are so many brands on the shelves that you just don't know where the whiskey's coming from anymore. And do you know if it's the same exact stuff that it's in a different bottle? And I think that's the difference between, I don't know. I mean, Gosh, now I'm going back and thinking like, well, if I have two different steak restaurants, well, they probably all go to the same exact farm. It's not even like they they have. It's not like they don't have the same cows going to different places, and it's just how they prepare them. Now I'm thinking maybe that's what we do. We all get whiskey from the same places. We just prepare it a little bit
1: differently. So I I guess I'm eating my own words now. Well, I think it's I think it's less about that really, and it's well. let, Let me take a pause real quick and say, hey, I'm at least thankful for Big Bourbon for Ryan. What you were saying a little bit ago for you know, thanks for coming out at least at some point in time with these high age statements so that we know there's like this kind of an upper echelon of like, hey, we like this stuff. We'd like to see more stuff like this, whether you whether you have it or not presently. Hey, at least, you know, people are have, have been able to experience sometimes are able to experience maybe sometimes they're limited now, but but thankful for that. But I, I think, you know, the 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 big plus for them, and we, it's not something we haven't talked about before. It's that, the big bourbon can serve that steak that may be derivative from the same farm but they can get it to more of their locations nationwide than the smaller brands do you know we've even talked about hey if we were able to operate on on all cylinders with the stock that we have we still have like a a peak that we can reach in a given year until we get to a certain you know milestone points to continue to spread that into other markets and I think one of the benefits to why people will reference back to Big Bourbon is because it's easy to find in any market and say, regardless whether it's good or not, I at least can use it as a control because it's findable in my area and I can help, and, and it's findable in somebody else's area if I'm trying to explain that. And yeah, a lot the, of the other it's brands- a baseline. Yeah. It's a baseline, It's a good baseline, which is something that just unfortunately, a lot of the smaller- producers makers
2: brands as we've talked about in other episodes just don't get that kind of reach point exactly i went to i went to capital grill and it was cheaper than repeal but i didn't think it was quite as good uh but it was cheaper so if you're looking for a nice steak dinner that's pretty good but not great (laughs) capital grill's there if you want to go and get the I don't know. I'm probably digging a hole. It's right? <laughs> like I always there, do. There was yeah. our sponsorship from Capital Grill. Might be. That wasn't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> well, crap. Yeah. But we do really like repeal. <laughs> we, so if we're looking for a sponsorship <laughs> from repeal, we will definitely take that. But I do love repeal. And Capital Grill Gil- was really good. It's just Capital Grill is solid, safe. You know, that it's solid, safe in every city you go to. Repeal is an awesome, just unique experience that I'm willing to pay more for. I feel like the value is there for the more I pay. That's what's harder as a small brand. How do you create a small and newer brand when whiskey? You don't have the age stocks. You don't have the. It's like what can you do to give that like unique wow factor that people? And I think I'm just thinking through this. I think I came up with an answer in my head, but how do you? I want. I'm interested to see what you all say. Like, how can you? Provide that like silver bullet, I guess, to combat the what they have. The only answer that I have
0: for you is that you can't do it at scale. I think it is a, you have to win every customer one at a time through a very personable and intimate experience. And that will create a, a lifelong brand advocate for you. I mean, whether that's, you've got to give them sort of a behind the scenes thing. You've got to take them around. You got to, you want to show them around. You kinda I mean, just think about, you know, you, you, you want to go behind the scenes and kind of see how the sausage is made. And I think a lot of people enjoy that. And I think that's what will, and you, know, you give them a chance to try some stuff directly from the barrel. You get them some experiments they'd never had before. You just give them something that gives them something that's just not in the label. And I think that creates a, a a a better connection. Unfortunately, that's nothing. That's a that's not scalable by any means. So I have to come back to come back to me when you think about scale.
2: It's not scalable, um, but it is when two million people come to your state to visit <laughs> all these distilleries, and that's how you, with the that's how I'm thing is like an in person experience that you can be right there against all of them and say, here we can provide a better experience in a better i don't know i mean maybe that's, I a, think, that's the I only think way you can't compete Bardstown bourbon company is a great example of that oh yeah def- they and they push the big distilleries to compete with them on the the hospitality and experiential side of things yeah i think that's a great example but uh, unfortunately you know we're not going to have a we
0: can't we can't do a, a barstown bourbon company like experience uh at that scale but they they have been able to you know, you have a big facility and you can be able to bring in lots of people and that's how you can do it a little bit more at scale. You know, they've got a lot more stocks than we have and, and will have. And so they, they're going to be on a, a much larger scale than we have. We just got to figure out. And I think that's probably what a lot of things that as you go through this, it's like, you don't have to be the biggest and best at, at all this. It's like, you have to be just big enough that, you know, you sell through the stocks that you do have, you're able to create that, that, that revenue stream And, and you don't want to, you don't want to sit there and try to be, you know, top dog or anything like that. I don't, I don't think that's what we are trying to be either. I I think it's like, we just want to, we want to carve our niche and have it and have it and being able to, to satisfy our target demographic. We're not going to be the whiskey for everybody. I don't think that's what we're ever going to be. I think that goes back into the questions that we've positioned at ourselves a few times in here it's like are we gonna have like what is our elijah craig small batch what is our 94 proofer maybe we never have a 94 proofer maybe that's just not the demographic that we're ever gonna capture and the people that aren't that are gonna try our product are gonna go oh it's too hot oh i can't drink it it's too high proof <laughs> okay maybe it's not for you
2: <laughs> I, I, maybe that's just the answer we have to have i vote for that but it is funny i did go to Old Forrester tour. And they poured out like four samples and they were all under a 100 proof. And that these people, you know, that were just, you could tell they've never been on a bourbon, but they, they loved like the information, this and that. But they sat there and they go, they drink it. The first one was like a 90 proof. And they're like, oh my God, it's so hot. And I was like, oh boy, wait till you try ours at one point. That's our flagship. <laughs> it only goes uh, up from here. That's
0: right. So I guess the you know, the question is, is is it did Big Bourbon, is it ruining things or is it making things better? And I think that we are, we're in a position now that we have to be thankful for what Big Bourbon did. They have been able to, because, I mean, if we were to go back 30 years ago, nobody in their right mind, well, except, except maybe Trey Zoller, nobody else really is in the right mind that says, I want to enter the bourbon business. And they, they were able to basically just kind of sit around and kind of I guess lack of a better term is tread water for three decades until we got here. And now that we are here, it's, it's now they're, I guess you could say, uh, you know, defending, <laughs> they're, 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 defending their turf. Protecting their, their turf. Yeah. 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 So that's the best way they're, they're it's NCAA time. They're, they're boxing out in the paint. And, and that's what they're trying to make sure that they capture every rebound. They're making sure that they get, every single customer, and they can do that. They've got the the millions and millions of dollars they can throw in marketing budgets to be able to do that and continually take and capture market share. But I think the one thing that I think it's good for us is that they don't really care about us too much. I don't really think they care about small and medium players. They're just competing against the other five big competitors that they're going against. And I think that's the, that's the great thing about this is that they're not really too focused on what we're doing or what we're doing differently other than probably paying attention to what are the kind of crazy finishes are coming down the pipe. And then they'd be <laughs> like, yeah, I'll just go do that too. Um, yeah. And seeing what people will pay for source bourbon. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're going to go ahead and raise their prices. So I think like for the most part, they have, they've done, they've done what they needed to do. Um, and right now they're, they're looking at how do they compete with, you know, the other big competitors in their realm. And that's fine. Let them go and and do that. And we'll play in our sandbox and try to find, we just got to find our people. And I think that's what it is. It's like, how do you find your people that'll rally around you? And, and there's going to be growth pains that come from it because we need to find more people to to join that tribe, if you will, and making sure that we can, you know, we can get more curious drinkers, people that want to just try something that's not more the same. They want to do something different. And it's going to be a continual evolution of of finding those people. But the good thing is, is that those big players are going to be the stepping stone of how they find us. I think that's how it is at the end of the day, because how do you get into bourbon? Ah, I had my first pour maker's mark, right? That's where, that's where you start that red dripping wax. And then from there, you kind of start in this journey and then you don't really go back to it, uh, for at least, if you are into it to the, the depths that we are. And then you're like, well, I just want their newest release, crazy cast, finish, whatever it's going to be. Right. And so you've just got to figure out how do you, how do you kind of
2: capture that, that next phase of somebody that's getting into the category? It's funny. You say they don't care about what we're doing, but they, they don't until they see you as a threat, then they just buy you up. <laughs> and <laughs> that's true. It, it, it's, and that that's what I, that's what my point was earlier. I was thinking of is that you look at every brand that has succeeded over the last say 10 to 20 years, it's been bought by one of the big six. Like there's not many brands and that's, what's so fascinating about Willett is that they haven't sold, you know, to any of these big six corporations. They're one of the only last ones standing that hasn't. And because, I think that's a whole nother discussion. Maybe a new show is like, is because you look at every brand that's made it over the last twenty years, they've they hit a wall and they end up selling to one of the big six, and you know, and then the big six just keeps on trucking, being the dominant player in the the game. And we are thankful for them; they've paved the way for us, and it's we wouldn't be here without them, and it's it's awesome. But it is a fascinating uh, dichotomy. Well, that, that's just. That's the nature of any business, though.
0: That's, that's no, I. Tech, know. That's tech industry. That's lawn care and fertilization, Ryan. You know that. You, you've got people
2: knocking oh, yeah. your yeah, all I'm, the time trying to trying to buy you out. I'm thankful for True Green every day because they market to customers and then they suck and then we get them. Not to say that bourbon does that. The big six, their their products are really good, but uh too bad it wasn't that. Too
0: bad somebody didn't go try a twenty dollar bottle, go, this sucks, but I'll go try these guys with their sixty five (laughs) dollar bottles.
2: That's right. (laughs) Yeah, it's not quite uh yeah, you can't quite uh correlate the two but <laughs> that's the that's the slogan right that's what we've been looking for is
1: the 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 heaven hill of crap comes our church. True- that's right <laughs> guys thanks again for another interesting episode let us know what your thoughts are on this particular topic about big bourbon about the big six about uh, setting the the pricing of value and, and what that is typically attributed to and maybe some of the trends that you've been seeing in your own markets or in your your own exploration as it pertains to whiskey. Thanks so much for tuning in. If there's other topics you wanna hear us talk about on other episodes or you have questions for the guys, podcast at pursuitspirits.com. And until next time, we'll see you all later. Toodles.